Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Julie and Steve. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol. In this episode, we talk to our friends, Dan and Liz, about emotional support. One of the hardest parts of sobriety is facing our emotions without trying to numb them. And one of the greatest tools we can use is leaning on others in our lives to support us as we start facing those emotions and learning how to deal with them. For a lot of us, we come into sobriety having no idea what emotional support is even supposed to look like. Whether it's how to ask for or accept emotional support or how to give it. We're here to talk about it. Remember that every time you hit like, or especially subscribe or follow, it lets the podcast platforms know that you think we've shared valuable content here, and other people that might benefit from our podcast will be more likely to see it. So let's go ahead and dive in. Emotional support is sometimes, you know, letting someone be there for me, which is not something that I could have ever really done in my my drinking days. You know, um, I, I really... And even to even now, it sort of flies in the face of what seems natural to me. And I have to remind myself that it's okay. It is okay to to be emotional. It is okay to need to talk to somebody. And uh, on the flip coin, it, it helps me a lot when someone confides in me and they say that they are having a hard time and they need something. So, you know, emotional support works. In a lot of ways, and in some ways, I feel like I'm still figuring all that out because I had no idea what emotional support looked like, you know, um, 30 months ago. So, but I, I would say it's it's being there for someone and to let them be there for you. I think you talked about it's helpful when somebody else comes to you too. And I think a lot of us struggle with reaching out and asking for support because we don't want to feel like a burden. And one of the things that I've learned, and somebody said this to me once and it stuck with me, is that how does it feel when somebody comes to you and asks for help? Generally, it feels good. If somebody wants to come, if somebody's having a hard time and wants to lean on me, like I'm honored that they trust me with that. And it helps to remember that most other people feel the same way, that it's not a burden. It actually means a lot. And it's really fulfilling to be able to be there for somebody else too. Yeah. I remember early in my AA days, I, I spent like an hour on the phone with my sponsor and I said to him, you know, Hey, thanks for taking this time with me today. You know, I appreciate that. And he said, well, believe it or not, you've helped me more than I've helped you. And I was like, bullshit, but that's a nice <laughs> thing to say. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I can relate to that big time. Yep. But it turned out to be true because, you know, when someone does confide in me, it, you know, being able to share my experience with them and see if it if it helps them or if it doesn't, you know, it does help me probably more than it helps them. Yeah. I think it's pretty interesting when you said uh, it flies in the face of, you know, what you normally would do. And the normally would do is to not reach out and not ask for that help. Yeah. I think that's where it starts, isn't it? That's that's where you start getting that emotional support is saying, hey, 
this is how I feel. Or sometimes it's just reaching out to somebody else. You know, it's been a long time. You haven't heard. It wasn't too long ago that I got a message from you, Dan, that turned around and, and just said, uh, hey, how's it going? I haven't heard from you in a while. Like even even that right there is extending an olive branch. Even if things are fine, it's great to hear that somebody's fine. But it's extend, extending that olive branch to say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's enough to just open that door for today and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I have some time. I'm willing to hear you because it's just sometimes just a hi, how are you doing? Says a lot more than just those few simple words. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that you know, a trap a lot of us fall into is the idea of trying to hide vulnerability. Especially, you know, I think as men, you know, we are seen to be weak. We show any sign of vulnerability and we see ourselves that way too. It's, it's, and it's just something that has to be broken. And this is something that I've really spent a lot of time thinking about in sobriety. And this is something I spend some time talking to my daughter about saying, you can talk about this. You know, if you can talk about this, then you take away its power over you. I'm not saying that you have to confide in me every time any little thing happens, but you don't have to hide things. You don't have to bury it down and and pretend that you're fine and be stoic. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to admit that you're scared. And it's okay to say, I don't know what to do. Please help me. You know, that's just one of those lessons. I, I think that I think that's just a lesson we all need to hammer into our kids as much as we can, you know, so that um, hopefully we at least put them on a better footing than I had. You know, I didn't have to wait till I was 39 to learn any of that. (laughs) Right. Well, and I guess this is kind of an interesting topic to me too, because it's not just about like, I don't even know what I need for emotional support. If I'm struggling and somebody comes to me and says, you know, how can I be there for you? Like, I wouldn't know how to answer that question. And on the flip side, when somebody in my life or even say like my teenage daughter is having a hard time, there are times I have no idea how to be there for her. None of that was modeled for me as a kid. We just, nobody talked about anything because it, it was uncomfortable for everyone. And so I struggle with both sides of that, whether it's how someone can support me or how I can support someone else. Um, So I think it's kind of interesting. I think we all have different needs, but if we learn how to voice them, that'll help other people know how to be there for us. Because I think we all have different needs too, when it comes to what that support looks like. And for me, if you were to ask me, you know, what do you need as far as support in this situation? I just, I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know what it looks like. It's hard to to say, but it's so nice if you can figure out how to communicate your needs. I think it ends up being an experiment, doesn't it? The first time someone says, what can I, how can I help you? You know, and sometimes you sit there and when you send that message or you say that to someone, how can I help you? You're sitting there and you have this feeling of helplessness. Like, how can I help you? I care about you. I, I, I want to be able to help you, but you fully well know that they're the ones that have to turn around and say, this is what I need. So you can actually try and support 
them and what they need. But then on the flip side of it, if you don't know how to communicate it, you, it, it kind of gets lost in the mix. And then so the experiment is, is like being vulnerable and being willing to even make that mistake. If it's a mistake, this is what I think I need. I think I feel hurt right now and I think I'm confused. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel right now because you know what? I think I'm supposed to feel guilty for not doing this. And right now, I don't feel guilty at all. Sometimes inside of that conversation, inside of the discovery of what do I need? How do I ask for it? You figure out the answer to your own problem because typically it comes out when you're throwing your own personal darts at a wall that you know, you're, you're comfortable with that person, whoever that is, hopefully, eventually you come to the answer. But the only way to try and find that answer is to be vulnerable enough to at least give it a shot. Yeah. And for that, I think you need someone that you feel comfortable with being vulnerable with. So I think going back to what Dan was saying, I'd absolutely agree that for men, you're taught more often than not to, you know, that showing any sign of sadness or, or negative emotion other than anger is weakness, right? But for women, while we're allowed to show that more, there's like a limit to it. Because if we cross a certain threshold, then we're crazy, right? Like we're too emotional, we're too sensitive, we're too whatever. And so I think for me, I have a really difficult time asking for help and i'm only even with the people who i feel most comfortable with it's still difficult for me to reach out and ask for help and i think some of that is fear of rejection especially when i am at my most vulnerable if i reach out to you and you say you don't have time for me which is completely legitimate, right? Like we're not all available all of the time, but when I'm at my most vulnerable, that will feel like a stab in the heart. Even if I fully understand it, it's still going to hurt me that the person's not available in the moment I need them, which makes me afraid to ask. And then the other part of that is that I, you know, I tend to have pretty big intense emotions and I am afraid to show those fully to other people because I don't want to be too much or crazy or all of the things that I've been told throughout my life about having big emotions and showing them. The opposite of emotional support right there. Exactly yes. how you explained it is, is that big emotion that you feel, oh, Liz, you're just too much all the time. The thing is, is that root of all of those big emotions is a whole bunch of small things that have all added up and then it all comes out in one little one fell swoop because we don't have a place to put it. You give it to someone and you don't have the emotional support. So it's kind of like the playing catch analogy. Yeah, right? it's one of those things. You let it pent up like that because, you, you know, instead of sharing, you know, you, you you held on to that anger and that frustration or whatever was going on. And all of a sudden now it comes out in this big burst of anger or tears or however it chooses to manifest in this way. 
I think that the analogy, and I know Steve's used this in meetings a few times about um, having this big mess in the floor and you clean one thing up at a time. And I really think that emotional sobriety is defined by that. That analogy is that when something happens, address it. If you don't know what to do about it right away, write about it in the journal and, and sit and stew about it for a little while. It's okay to let, let yourself think about it and, you know, uh, and then talk to somebody. I mean, that's what these kind of groups are here for, is to work these things out. I would much rather somebody called me in the middle of the night than find that, you know, you went and picked up a drink. I think a lot of times, too, women are, and, and I think Liz says too much. I know I've either been told or made to feel that I'm overreacting about a situation. And that immediately makes me feel like I shouldn't feel this way. So then I just start fighting that emotion and that's just none of whatever it is that none of the situation I'm trying to make my way through actually gets processed at all because I'm just fighting the emotion and making myself more miserable. I think the opposite of that is just validating someone's feelings. It's okay that you feel this way. And that's a hard one, I think, for some people, because if it's not how they would feel, then they say things like you're overreacting or maybe it's not that big of a deal. And it's just so completely unhelpful and invalidating and just stops the, the processing of that emotion in its tracks. And that's just one more thing then that's going to pile up. There's no right or wrong way to feel about any situation. And there's no you're feeling it too much or you're not feeling it enough. And I, I think it must be the way that I was raised or just all of my life experience. I have like this picture in my head of what things should look like, what my emotions should look like in any given situation. And then when they're not, I'm afraid to let anybody see them because I feel like it's wrong. You know, one of the fun things that I've heard along the way here is that you're never feeling the wrong thing. What you're feeling is exactly the thing you should be feeling right now, in this moment. The question's not, what are you feeling? The question is, is where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, wh- wh- why is this making me angry? Because anger is generally something that comes out of a place of fear, right? So if something's got me like boiling up and why is this getting this reaction? You know, what value do I have that this is challenging? And, you know, and look to that. You know, if I can answer that question, you know, I provided some validation to what I'm feeling and I found a way to try to address it. And so that I don't have to hold that because I, I can I can hold a grudge with the best of us. <laughs> and, and, and when, I, when I hold when I hold a grudge, I hold a grudge till the end of my life. So I think that's the, the thing I try to work on now is that I want to express what I have and feel what I feel and move forward with it. But I I don't want to, I don't want to have to hold that resentment anymore. You know, to have it for a moment is natural, but to have it 20 years later, that's not healthy. I like how you say to have it for a moment. You're right. It's completely natural. And it's basically, I guess it's training yourself to realize it's okay if I have this for the moment but I'm going to need to do something about it. I'm going to need to either talk about it because I'm going to hang on to this. I'm hanging on to this for too long, which you start realizing that 
the story you start telling yourself in your own head, it starts turning into something that it's not. And the only way to address it, for me anyways, the, the way that I do is I start looking for support. I start looking I'm like, okay, I'm going in the wrong direction in my head. I need to talk to someone. This is well before I ever, ever, ever get to the thought of having to drink, but talk to someone get it out, put it somewhere, say here, this is my truth. This is what's going through my head. Vulnerability again, because a lot of the times you feel like you're crazy. And one of the most beautiful things you can do is share that experience. Kind of like what Julie was saying, you know, the validating of it. And then when you talk to somebody, chances are they've experienced something just like you have. And they have a story similar to it. And then you get empathy. Now, because of that emotional support, you don't feel like you're sitting in it by yourself. Empathy is like the foundation of emotional support. Without empathy, there's no way you can support someone. That's one that I, I don't know. I've, I've got some relationships in my life where they struggle to show empathy. And it makes it really hard to, to lean on someone who isn't able to empathize. I mean, empathy is what just looking at us and hearing someone's thoughts and feelings about a situation and knowing that you've had something similar, you're able to put yourself in their shoes to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. much easier to show compassion for someone and to validate what they're feeling. If you can find a way to empathize with them. Like, I think that really is just the, the basis for, all emotional support in whatever way you're trying to offer it. I think you're, you're right. And we talk about those big emotions, those big emotions, they don't last, even the big outbursts, they don't last a long time. They take a lot of energy. They take a lot of energy. Those big emotional outbursts, the pop bottle blows up, right? And they take a lot of energy and sitting down with someone through that eventually you have to take a breath eventually you just get exhausted eventually you get tired all that energy is out at the end of that where you hit the lull if you can hang on to that you hang on through that and allow someone to sit in that space with you the opportunity to share how you feel and how you got there exists because you're just tired and done and now i'm ready to talk thank you for sitting with me in it and it's hard to allow someone to sit with you through that when you're told and you grew up learning that that's not how you do that you don't show it you're too much dan you're you're a man keep that inside don't show it Emotion, you're just a weak man if, if, if that's the case. And we both know that's not the case. We both know that showing emotions is definitely a strength. Well, I know not showing them and building anger towards other people and holding on to that resentment and those grudges and things like that over the years, they didn't take me to a place I really wanted to be. Mm-hmm. That just really drug me down into a place that I, I really hope never to find myself ever again. So, yeah, and, and when it comes to that, you know, kind of vulnerability, I think, that, you know, the first, the first real 
big dive into that for me was going and it was sharing at my first AA meeting. Mm-hmm. I think you said before, you know, I don't, I don't know what it looks like to share. And, and I was like, I had no idea what to do either. So I just dumped, I completely like melted down and sh- I shared it all. And I said everything, uh, you know, that was, that had been going on in the last number of years. And, and I got it all out and I felt a little better and they all accepted me. And that's the beauty of the this, you know, these sober communities. Mm-hmm. It feels like family because it is. And we all have empathy for each other because we all do know ex- exactly where we're coming from on a lot of these issues. At least speaking of it for myself, I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, emotional stunting because I think we really stopped growing emotionally mm-hmm. when we started drinking. And we have to pick up where we left off. And for me, you know, I have to, you know, pick up at 39 and carry into my 40s while trying to, you know, have the uh, emotional maturity of a, a teenager. Yeah. And as a man, as I'm really in the end, I'm, there's a whole bunch of women too, like definitely that don't show your emotions, keep them crying is too much. You're, you're that's way too much hold it all in. I think a lot of us are taught that even our parents were taught that, and that's just been passed down to us. Hold on to it. It's better if you do you know you see, you seem strong, but then in, everything looks good on the surface and inside it's just a tornado. The other thing that I was thinking about is that in order to get emotional support, you have to be comfortable taking up space and you know as a somebody who's a people pleaser and who does have a lot of empathy i'm always concerned about taking up space and therefore taking it away from other people right so if i'm sharing in a breakout room then i'm consuming time that somebody else could be using who's maybe having a harder time than i am and might need the support more than i do Or if I am sharing, if I feel like things are bad enough to where I'm going to share, then I'm going to do my very damn best to keep it as short as possible so that I'm not taking up any more space than needed. And so that's something that's difficult, I think, to overcome. And then I swing to kind of the other wild extreme of rambling when I do find, <laughs> or Julie and Steve notice, you know, when I do find somebody I'm comfortable with, then it's just like, Bleh, and it, you know, it's almost like word vomit. And, you know, it, I guess it'd be better to find some kind of balance in the middle. Maybe somebody will stay sober today because of the share that you're, you're having right now. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, Steve says all the time, everybody's seat at the table is the same size. Every person that's in any group that you're in, every single person holds exactly the same amount of value. Every person's time holds the same exact amount of value. The other thing is we tend to compare our problems to other people's problems. And I don't know if, I I think maybe everybody does this, but if somebody else is going through something really, really difficult, then... I'm having a hard time 
with something that in my opinion is much smaller. I'm like, oh, well, I shouldn't even feel this way. I shouldn't take up anybody's time because this other person has something so much more difficult. Like my problem isn't bad enough to ask for help. And I think we have to be careful with that because you really can't compare what you're going through to what someone else is going through. We're all experiencing our own lives and our own struggles in our own ways. But I think that they all are just as important and we all deserve support and care and compassion. I agree. I think comparison can be very invalidating. Mm -hmm. It does, you know, make at least make me minimize my problems. The way I try to look at comparison now is to say, am I better off now than I was three years ago? Well, yes. So I've done something right. Am I perfect? No. So keep building. You know, a record is nothing to stand on. It's something to build on. I think too, like I, I keep stuff in and I don't ask for support or help because most of the people in my life that I could turn to are really uncomfortable with my feelings. And then at the same time, I'm really uncomfortable like with other other people's feelings. I think it's because you feel helpless. And helplessness feels really freaking uncomfortable. And I think there's a certain point where you just have to accept there's nothing you can do for this person, like actually physically do to fix the problem and just be comfortable with that and just settle into that feeling. I think and I can think of a couple different times. There was back in January, gosh, I was only like three or four months sober and our dog got really sick and eventually ended up dying. And there were a couple of times where I was so upset, just didn't even know how to feel or how to process or anything. And I remember talking to Steve on the phone, not even talking, just sitting there. I was crying and he just sat on the phone on the other end of the phone in silence so that he didn't have to be alone. There's nothing he could do. And yet that, just that, just somebody sitting there with you provides a huge amount of support, even if they can't do anything. And I think too, a lot of us go into fix it mode where when we feel helpless, we're like, what can we do to solve the problem? And for me, when somebody goes into fix it mode and I'm struggling with processing something, I feel like, oh, they just need me to stop. And they're trying to find any way to make this feeling stop. So then I just try to shut it down again. Like, like fix it mode is really unhelpful. Just sitting there with someone is super helpful. Goes back to what Dan yeah, was saying. And, yeah. I, invalidating. I, I think that when it comes, I mean, we're all parents here. Uh, I think when it comes to our kids going into fix it mode is such a natural inclination. They come in, they're crying, they're upset. And, you know, and, and you want to just go, okay, let me just take care of this for you. And then you realize, it, you know, she, she's having an uncomfortable feeling. And it's not the role of, it's not my role to fix an uncomfortable feeling. It's not her role to fix mine. And it's not my role to fix hers. It's, it's my role to teach her how to sit with that feeling and how to be okay with that, how to manage that, not to be consumed by it. And if she would like to talk, I will sit here and listen. But I think that is the hard thing because when we go into fix it mode, that says far more about us than it does about their problems. That shows that I am uncomfortable with her feelings. 
and I don't want to hear her feelings. I'd rather just paper on over it, make it all look nice, and move forward. And that's not being emotionally supportive in any way. Mm-hmm. No, teaching her, because, I mean, I, I'm going to get old, I'm going to die, and she's going to have to figure out how to do these things without me. And so, uh, you know, it's best for me to say, okay, well, you know, let's hear about this. You tell me what's going on. And we can hear her take on it. But, you know, it's such an easy trap to fall into. And I just try to, I really try to make sure I don't put myself in that position. Because I know that that is a very easy, that's the, that is definitely the easy thing to do. Takes a conscious effort, eh? Yeah. It does. It does. It's, it's like, wait a minute. I can fix this, but I'm not going to. And that's really hard to do especially when it's your kids because you know there's a five-year-old or a seven-year-old and it's like i can go and fix this really easy just take you to mcdonald's you know whatever it is right instead of here's your toy here's that and it is it's so easy the quick fix it's blown over but i all i've done is taught my kid that it's okay to have that outburst and then i'm gonna go and fix it and they haven't learned anything about how to deal with that outburst other than if I have one, I'm going to get what I want. That and it won't be long before they're 15 years old and they experience their first heartbreak and you can't just take them to McDonald's anymore. Mm -hmm. You literally are helpless. (laughs) It's good to teach them littler if you can how to handle that stuff. Gosh, imagine if we had all learned that stuff when we were five and seven and 15 I love how Dan Dan says, start learning how to cope and deal with things, deal with those big emotions at the age of 39. That's when I got sober too, was at the age of the ripe young age of 39. And I'm a emotionally distraught 14 year old boy in a 39 year old man's body. And sometimes... I am a five-year-old who had my sucker stolen and I am having an absolute and utter hissy fit over something so small. It's overblown and it's completely unnecessary, but because I don't know how to deal with it, it is big. And in that moment, it is valid because it has to be. Otherwise, I'd, I, I wouldn't be reacting that way. So something inside here was hurt bad enough that I don't know how to deal with it. And I I had that big emotional outburst. I'm not dealing with my stuff properly if I'm having a five-year-old hissy fit. There's something I need to do. I'm growing up. Now I'm seven. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I'm learning all of this stuff with my teenager, which can be really cool and really fulfilling and also sometimes really awkward. Because some days I react or in ways that make me realize I'm not really that much more emotionally mature than she is. I have a lot of learning left to do, but we're getting there. Well, I think it's okay to say, let's figure it out together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's easy to feel like a fraud in those cases. You know, who am I to tell you how to express your emotions? What do I know about that? You know, what does anyone know? You can come down to a therapist. They have their their problems, their issues, and they have their emotional pain too. And you know, I'm sure that they feel like fraud sometimes telling all of us who sit on their chairs and tell them our problems. Who am I to help this person here? But 
at the same time, all, all we really need is that emotional support, someone who listens to us and lets us get it out. Because I love to say it, I'll say it for the second time here, if I can talk about it, I take away its power over me. And I have that thought go run through my head at some point every day because I know I'll just need to talk about something for a minute. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that, whatever fear or anxiety or that feeling that I don't measure up at whatever I'm working on, anything, if I can just write about it, journal about it, talk about it, it's out there. It's It's gone now. I don't have to hold that. I don't have to live on it. And that's you know the beauty of, of these groups is I can reach out, send out a one-on-one message to somebody even and say, I'm having a day. <laughs> I'm not going to drink, but I'm today is a giant shit sandwich. <laughs> Don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't eat it. No. <laughs> well, Julie and I'd like to thank Dan and Liz. Thank you guys both for coming on the podcast tonight. Really appreciate you guys spending time with us here. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I, and I, I always love getting to come on here and getting to share out. And, you know, I, I think in those, those those last couple of weeks of my drinking and things like that, it was listening to podcasts that gave me a little bit of hope, you know, just hearing people say things. And I, I think I remember one of the one of the things I still kind of play in my head is that alcoholism is a disease and not a disgrace. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like a disgrace back then. And so... I definitely, that was a, another contact of emotional support there was, you know, getting to hear little phrases like that. It, it made a difference. I mean, two and a half years later, I still remember it. So <laughs> it had some glue on it, didn't it? Sure did. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this podcast. I agree with what Dan says. It's an essential tool, or at least it has been for me for sobriety and recovery, mm-hmm. not just sobriety, the recovery all this emotional work. Thank you guys. We appreciate you. We'd also like to thank our listeners for sharing space with us. Remember to subscribe or follow to keep getting new content. And if you have any comments or topic suggestions, email us at through the glass recovery at gmail.com. We'll see you next time as we continue to explore life on the other side of alcohol. <laughs>